according to YouTube, the uh, sermon I did on Obadiah got 180 views, which is quite above normal for my usual preaching. I guess the last few weeks we'd had 75, 54, 78. So that's pretty decent for this little church. I'm assuming some of it is overlap with my plain spoken audience, but um, I also think there's a good deal of interest in end time stuff and how it is that Christians should be talking through this stuff in ways that does or does not resemble some of the craziest people throughout history. Um, Of course, when you're reading the Bible authentically and speaking the Bible in your life, there is a degree to which you are going to sound crazy. But there are other ways in which it's the most sane thing in the world to acknowledge that there was once a beginning and there is going to be an end to this present history. We live in the in-between times, or the last days is, is what the scriptures call them. Advent is the liturgical season before Christmas, and it's four Sundays before Christmas Day. We began it this last Sunday, and I don't directly integrate Obadiah into it, but there's a lot of Old Testament prophecy that goes into the expectation of the last day, what's called the Day of the Lord. Jesus talked about it a lot. It is what the final book in the Bible, Revelation, is is all about, and it's something that all believers really need to have thought about. We are oriented in the present by the future that awaits us. So it's not something that only crazy people think about as much as some uh, worldly people would like you to believe. It's something that is very much worth your time and energy thinking about <clears throat> the... Um, the podcast you're going to listen to or watch right now um, is us returning back to our our usual liturgical layout that we used to do every Sunday. Now we just do it during the, the high Christian holidays and liturgical seasons. So we're going to have an Old Testament reading, a psalm, a New Testament reading, and a gospel reading. And all four of those will point to this hungering for God to come and rule directly over earth and what that looks like for us, how it is that we should spend our days right now. So I would invite you to be in prayer and be in a humble place as you receive God's holy word and as you reflect on your present in light of the future that awaits you. I hope you enjoy. We wait in anticipation for the coming of Christ this Advent season. People of God, prepare your hearts to receive him. Keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. In those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Be Be alert, alert. stay Stay awake, awake. for no one knows the day or the hour when Christ will return. Then we will see him coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Be alert, stay awake. For no one knows the day or the hour when Christ will return. He will send out the angels and gather his people from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Be alert, stay awake, for no one knows the day or the hour when Christ will return. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away but my words will not pass away. Be alert, stay awake, 
For no one knows the day or the hour when Christ will return. Therefore, keep awake, for you do not know when the Lord will come, or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. I say to all, keep awake. Be alert, stay awake, for no one knows the day or the hour when Christ will return. Today's first reading comes from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 64, verses 1 through 9, found on page 1058 of your pew Bibles. Let's listen to the word of God. O that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. As when the melting fire burneth, the fire causeth the waters to boil, to make thy name known to thine adversaries, that the nations may tremble at thy presence. When thou didst terrible things, which we looked not for, thou camest down, the mountains flowed down at thy presence. For since the beginning of the world of men have not heard, nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for him that waiteth for him. Thou meetest him that rejoiceth and worketh righteousness. Those that remember thee in thy ways, behold, thou art wroth, for we have sinned. In those is continuance, and we shall be saved. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. And there is none that calleth upon thy name, that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee. For thou hast hid thy face from us, and hast consumed us because of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, thou art our father, we are the clay, and thou art potter, and we, are, we all are the walk of thy hand, the work of thy hand. Sorry. Be not wroth very sore, O Lord, neither remember iniquity forever. Behold, see, we beseech thee, we are all thy people. The word of the Lord. The season of Advent is about Christ's second coming. Uh, I'll remind you, Advent comes from the Latin Adventus, which means coming. The Greek word for it used in the Bible is parousia. Uh, that's the language that was used whenever a triumphant general was returning to a city. Um, the notion in 2 Thessalonians was that when Christ appears, he will be coming from the heaven on the clouds, and we will rise up to meet him and then return victorious back to earth town with him. There's a lot of language in the New and Old Testaments about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is the day when all of history comes to an end and God comes to reign directly on earth and alongside the saints in glory, or rather the saints are alongside him, right? So Advent is the season of anticipating Christ's return, and we're going to have many more scriptures over the coming weeks about this. Part of Advent is appropriately spent anticipating, uh, imagining what it was like for ancient peoples anticipating the coming of the Messiah for the first time. That's why we have, you know, uh, the things kind of reminding us of, of Christmas around here. Christmas is a celebration of Christ's incarnation coming the first time, the first Advent. But Advent is primarily about the second coming of Christ, because that's when it's too late. That's when it's over. And do we know when he's coming back? No. We said it at the beginning of worship how many times? Be aware, wake up, 
because no one knows when he's coming. So is this good news that he's coming or is it bad news that he's coming? We are a good news people, are we not? But even so, whenever you look at this reading from Isaiah, oh, that you would rend the heavens, oh, that you would tear them open, that you would come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. What, what, what is it that flows out of mountains? Lava. The notion is that our God will descend to earth and walk on the mountains, and he is so hot that he'll burn the rocks into lava. As when the melting fire burneth, the fire causeth waters to boil. He's going to walk next to water, and it's going to start boiling. Does this sound pleasant? Jesus said, I baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire, right? And we often think of fire as kind of a hellish thing, but fire is a purifying agent. It's painful. And what's left afterwards, well, that's the question, isn't it? In 1 Corinthians, Paul says some people build with wood and chaff and bad stuff, and that stuff gets burned up. Other people burn with quality stuff, metal and that is what survives the fires in the end. We, the whole point to what we're doing here, is to try and live lives that stand, withstand the fires of God's judgment. The good news is that God is coming again. A lot of people would hear that and they would go, this does not sound like good news at all to me. Listen to this. From the very beginning of the world, men have not heard, they have not perceived by ear, neither hath I seen, O God, beside thee. What he, It says that all our good deeds are like a filthy rag, right? Verse 6, but we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness, righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and all we do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. If we are sinners dead in our sins and Christ returns, we are, the theological category is, dead meat. What's the good news about that? Well, the good news is... Christ Jesus did his atoning work on the cross. He took upon himself these unclean things, these filthy rags, the sin that was red as scarlet, he put them upon himself, became a substitutionary atoning sacrifice for us on the cross, paid the price we could not pay, and descended to the realm of the dead, that we might live in him. The same boiling water that hardens the egg softens the potato. That's not a quote from me. That's, I stole that from somebody else. When Christ comes again in glory, it will be bad news for many. But it's going to be good news for us. Amen? The condition, though, the condition is that we must live as we have been told. It says that God is wroth, W-R-O-T-H. The, the root there is wrath. He's very angry. Why? Because of our sins. We have sinned. In those is continuance, and we shall be saved. There is none that call. Where was it? It says that we must continue in the way that we. Um, thou meetest him. This is verse five. Thou meetest him that rejoiceth and worketh righteousness. Those that remember thee in thy ways. That's the meat. So God does not call us to be. Branch Davidians off in the wilderness being excited and drinking the Kool-Aid. He's going to come any day now. That is not how we're called to live. How are we called to live? We're called to live as those that rejoice and work righteousness. We're called to be those who remember Christ in all of our ways. Who is the main story of the world? Christ. We are called to live lives of righteousness here and now. And the problem is we can do no good works outside of Christ Jesus, right? 
All of our good deeds are as filthy rags outside of Christ Jesus. But when we give up on ourselves, you know, there are a lot of people who read this and go, this is really depressing. This just makes me want to give up. I can't do anything good. I, everything is filthy rags. And the answer is, yeah, give up on yourself. Give up. You can't do it. Oh, he's bad for my self-esteem. This is bad. This is making me... Well, good. You're not that great. I was watching... I was watching... I hope this is the last stupid illustration I've got. But there's, there's, a, there's a children's movie on uh, Netflix called Leo... A class pet goes home, and it turns out he can talk, and he encourages kids. And one of the kids is a snobby girl who's, you know, you know the snobby girl in middle school. She got her click, and she thinks she's better than everybody else. And he says, you seen it? You know what I'm talking about? He says, you're not that great. And she goes, I'm not that great. There's a freedom in that, because whenever you're trying to be that great, nobody knows how wicked they are until they try to be good, right? When you try to be good, oh, that shows you how bad you are. And when you see that, you can, yes, I mean, so there are two different extremes. You can, well, three, I guess you can say, I am that great. Who are you to tell me anything? You're going to hell. You cannot have that response. The other hellish response is, I'm just going to give up. I'm just going to give up. I'm going to give in. Let me eat and drink for tomorrow. I dine in hell. That way also leads damnation. The way that leads salvation is, I'm giving up on myself. I'm trusting in him. I'm trusting in what he did on the cross. I'm trusting in my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is faithful. He alone can pay the price. He alone can save me. Isn't that a wonderful thought? The pressure isn't on you. All that needed to be done for your salvation was already done. It's for you to take his yoke upon you and to remember him in all your ways. Isn't that a good deal? Praise be to God. Today, that's short. Today, our first reading, our third reading is from Paul's first letter to the church of Corinth, chapter 1, verse 3 through 9, which you can find on page 1604 of your pew Bibles. Listen to the word of God. Grace be upon you and peace from our God, from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given to you by Jesus Christ, that in everything ye are enriched by him in all utter, utter, utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that ye come behind with no gift waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you until the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of, the, of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the word of God. Is God faithful? That is one of his key defining characteristics. That means he doesn't lie. That means he never gives up or gives in. He never negotiates. Isn't that quite a thing? We see negotiation as a good thing, right? It ain't. You don't want a God who negotiates. God takes no prisoners. 
He makes no compromises. He gives no quarter. And so whenever we have this anxiety about, well, shucks, there's a final judgment, and I don't know if I'm going to make it. We need to hear this word of comfort as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. Everything you're enriched in is by him, by all utterance, all knowledge, so that you come behind in no gift. You're waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is going to confirm you unto the end that you will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So is God faithful? Is God powerful? The promise is that he will purify you for the day of judgment. Is God able to perform this? Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, right? For they will be filled. Are we hungering and thirsting for righteousness? That's the thing before us near now. Our final reading is going to be Jesus warning us about what happens if we get content in our unrighteousness and the master comes back and finds us asleep. One of the doubts that Satan will put on our mind is, is God able to perform righteousness in me? I've only ever been a sinner, drawn towards wickedness. Surely God cannot make a saint out of a sinner like me. In fact, I'm not even sure I want to be a saint. That's where most people are. We, the elect, are called to hunger and thirst for righteousness. The church is not for people who are content in their sins. It is not for people who have a basically good life and they want just a little bit better. The church is for people who know that they are wretched, who know that life has no comfort for them outside of Christ, and who despair at the darkness. Were it not for Christ Jesus, we would be most miserable. Amen? But because we have Christ Jesus, we have all things. Amen? I'll say, I said it before. Christ said it. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God is faithful. The question is not if God is faithful or if he's powerful. The question is, are you going to be faithful? Are you going to trust in him? Or are you going to let the world compromise you? That's where we should be uncomfortable with Advent. And we're going we're gonna to sing one more hymn, and then we're going to come to this reading. Jesus' words directly in Mark warning us, and I want you to feel that discomfort with you and where you are in your own life, because it's that discomfort that allows for that turning. Turn us, O oh God, revive us again, and we will be saved. If we need that repentance, and do we need repentance? Every stinking day we need repentance. Then this is the discomfort, the holy discomfort, that moves us in the direction that we need. All right, you may be seated. Our final reading this morning is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13, verses 24 through 37. It's on page 1418 of your pew Bibles. Listen again to the word of the Lord. But in those days, this is Jesus talking, after that tribulation, the sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give its light. Her light. And the stars of heaven shall fall, and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then shall he send his angels and shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from the uttermost part of the earth to the uttermost part of heaven. 
Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When her branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is near. So ye, in like manner, when ye shall see these things come to pass, know that it is nigh, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, that this generation shall not pass till all these things be done. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of that day and hour, and that hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take ye heed, watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is. Is there a theme for today? That's probably it. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh, at even or at midnight or at cock crowing or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. This is the word of the Lord. Y'all know me. I get in arguments. I've been arguing with people online lately because there are a lot of people who don't believe in a literal second coming of Christ. They believe that Christ is already reigning and his kingdom is already here and that it's for us just to build his kingdom. That when we're looking, for the, we're looking up to the heavens for the, the, the clouds to part and Christ to come, when we're, when we're looking for angels to come and set things right, they think that's faithless. They think that that's confused. They think that we're neglecting our duty to make heaven on earth right now. And that's a problem because history is full of people trying to make heaven on earth. And you know, it always turns into hell. We can't do it. Not only do we need to give up on ourselves individually, we need to give up on ourselves corporately. Without God, we can't do it. Can anyone say amen to that? The promise of politicians and governments and nonprofits will always be we can make the world a better place without God. Christians need to always insist no, all these efforts are filthy rags without Christ Jesus at the center. Amen? Amen. Jesus said there's going to be wars and rumors of wars, there's going to be things falling from the sky, there's going to be tumult and terror, there's going to be tribulation. He says, don't get worked up about these things. That's just the birthing pains. He says that in, in other gospels. He doesn't say that here. But even here he does say, keep your eye on the ball. He doesn't say keep your eye on the ball. He says, no one knows when it's going to happen. I don't know. The angels don't know. Only the Father in heaven knows. So there is no way for you to see the sign here and see, oh, it's going to happen. It's going to be in five years. History is replete with people who think that they can do that every time it works out. And they didn't know. And then they go, oh, there's a new day. And a bunch of chumps go, oh, he, he knows. We never learn. 
Jesus himself said, we're not going to know. So what do we do about it, you know? There, once again, we have three options. One is to say, well, it's never coming. We've got to make heaven ourselves. Jesus is never coming. That's all just a metaphor. That's a hellish direction to go, as I've already talked about. The other option is to go, it's coming now, and Jesus says we're not supposed to worry about it, but I'm worried about it, and this is all I'm going to think and focus about. Who cares about practicing righteousness and obeying God? And we've got, He's going to come any day now. Who's got some Kool-Aid? You know, like that's, that's not the way that we're supposed to be. The place we're supposed to be is he's coming any day now, so I need to make this God, the God that this points to, the center of my life. The Jesus that this attests to, he is the author of my salvation. He decides what's right and wrong, what I love, what I hate, what I do, where I go, how I spend my money, who my relationships are with, how I govern myself in my relationships. He is my, in a word, Lord, which means he's my boss. He's my boss. He's the center of my life. I've been bought at a price. Amen? I am not my own. I am his. Children, what is our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but belong to God. This is something that we know in our heads, but it don't drip down to our hearts. And time and time again, we try and be our own boss and do our own things our own way. We try and enjoy our lives. We try and get distracted with stuff. Meanwhile, the master is going to show up any day now, and how is he going to find us? That's the thing that's supposed to make us uncomfortable and go, am I asleep? Am I asleep at the wheel? Is my God going to come back and find me just loving it up, living it up, just thinking my life is all about me, thinking it's all about fun and leisure, and, or is he going to find me working for him? Is he going to find me blessing others for him? Is he going to find me growing in holiness with him? That's the key core question that I need you, who cares about me, that you need to go home and be thinking about in your life. Because one day a trumpet's going to blow and the Son of Man is going to come down on the clouds and it's going to be too late. Brothers and sisters, I would have you not be caught unawares. Prepare for the kingdoms at hand.